And I remember thinking like, my marriage is great. My kids are healthy. Never in my life have I purged more things from my everyday life to give myself the freedom to be present for my family. I'm making money at work. Everything's going great. I don't know what's wrong with me. wise mentor offered this prayer, God grant me the character that is greater than my gifts and the humility that's greater than my influence. Just pause with me and let's take that in again. God grant me character that is greater than my gifts and humility greater than my influence. Friends, that's a bold prayer. That's a daring prayer. And as I sink into it, it feels like a prayer that I have not yet matured into becoming the kind of person that can pray that sort of prayer with confidence. But it's my hope to become that kind of person. And for this episode of the Become Good Soil podcast, I am very honored to bring a guest, Zach Thomas, who's the kind of man who's become a man who has prayed that prayer, has been dismantled by a prayer like that, and who has seen much fruit come for his life, his work, his calling, his wife, his children, and his community through praying a prayer of that nature. Zach is a graduate of a Become Good Soil intensive. He's been faithful in consenting to the path and process in the message of Become Good Soil. Zach's been a staunch ally of Become Good Soil, Wild at Heart, for over 15 years. He's a field leader in many expressions, leading Wild at Heart Basics and Become Good Soil events and more um, down in Georgia and regionally. I'm really excited to dive into this podcast where Zach courageously and authentically took some risks with me and with this larger tribe around the world, believing that it's worth being vulnerable and authentic in his struggle, in his victories and his defeats in the hopes that it would strengthen you, this growing fellowship of the like-hearted around the globe. Let's dive in. Zach, this is tremendous. We have done a lot of miles together. I remember the first boot camp we interacted, and it was many years ago. I mean, you're one of the early leaders that said, okay, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to take your word and I'm going to bring it to my community in Georgia and let's go change the world together. And yet there have been so many miles of walking in the message of become good soil, becoming a king, attending an intensive, and taking the process of dismantling the things that you and I, frankly, have become that we could become wholehearted and become the kind of men and in time, the kind of kings in whom God finds joy in entrusting the care of his kingdom. But it's an honor to pause all the chaos and mayhem and just grab some of this for a larger circle of our like-hearted allies. Yes, it is. It's an honor to be here and just to like you said, share a little bit of a glimpse of what has happened and transpired over the last couple decades. I think it was 2005 was my first um, trip to Colorado uh, Wild at Heart Boot Camp. And there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. So what we're doing over an hour or less is unpacking 15 years of the context of masculine initiation, right? Like, There are broad strokes at 30,000 feet, and then there's in the weeds. But these are themes that are universal, that we all wrestle with as men. And so let's start at the beginning for context. A father of seven children. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's enough. That's enough. Like, And yet... You're married to Christy for 21 years, and, and I, think, I think the way I'd frame your story is leadership has defined every season of your life, from boyhood 
to manhood. And I think of some of the externals, West Point graduate, the Army Rangers. You're an entrepreneur in every way, in and out, you know, author, leader, farming, and are a go-to man in your arena, your sphere of influence on lots of levels, corporately, um, geographically. And yet, like what we're after, as we know, is the heart of the man that drives that story. I just described the 10% of the iceberg we see. There's 90%, as we know, that's below the waterline. It's the why we do what we do. And so I just want to start with seven kids. Okay. Like Zach, 21 years of marriage and seven children. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do know what causes it. Often people ask um, that question and I I actually like it. So that's part of the problem. That's, that's why we have so many kids. (laughs) It is often a little chaotic, mostly fun. And, uh, pretty much never a dull moment. Uh, I have a 16-year-old, almost 16-year-old daughter. She'll be 16 in two months. Five girls, um, two boys. So 16-year-old daughter, 13-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter, eight-year-old son, five-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter, and a one-year-old. Okay. So tell me, I, I remember I was connecting with Christy. I believe it was at a Captivating. And there was just this moment. I said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm nervous. And I'm thinking, well, every woman's nervous when she comes captivating, right? And then she went on to say, it's been 13 years since I've been away from my kids for an overnight. And it just caused me pause where I went, of course, of course, like you said, and never a dull moment. It's almost like there's rarely a moment without almost crisis, right? Like she is mm-hmm. needed. And yet mm-hmm. I think it was demonstrative of when we're young, we have dreams and aspirations and we want to conquer the world. And then life comes like a rogue wave or like spring runoff in the Colorado Rockies. And it shakes everything, not unlike COVID, where everything gets unsettled and we find what cannot be shaken. And often we discover is actually a lot more can be shaken than what we realized. So take me into the 90% below the waterline. And, or maybe a way we'd get there is give us a context of some of that external, a brief overview of your story so that we can dive in below the waterline and explore some of these deeper things. Yeah, so um, it's hard to know where to start. Um, I think I, I guess I'll start with my achieving and performing at uh, in high school. Graduated Cedartown High School in '95. I was we moved to the farm when I was seven, and so I was an only child on a farm here in, in Cedartown, Georgia. Uh, graduated high school, like I said, '95. Salutatorian in my class, um, just again uh, achievement achieving and performance oriented. West Point, as you mentioned, um, was selected to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York and spent four years there. And part of my wounding and staying above the waterline here, but there's some, there was a lot of wounding and, and agreements and things that really just made me make a decision to pursue the hardest thing possible to kind of prove to the world that I was a man. And so I became an infantry officer and pursued, you know, airborne ranger training, all that stuff. My first duty station, I was assigned to the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was a second lieutenant, rifle platoon leader, first lieutenant, recon platoon leader for the battalion. And then when I got promoted to captain, I became a company executive officer. But then right right at the same time I got promoted to captain, my orders came down for the captain's career course. And then Actually, at the exact same time was September 11, 2001. And I'll never forget um, literally sitting in my breakfast table, eating a bowl of Cheerios and saw the second World Trade Center get hit. And I knew my life was about to change. But I also had orders to go to the captain's career course. So I thought that I would get uh, to stay and go with my unit, but I didn't get to go. I ended up having to pack up all of our stuff and move down to Fort Benning. And I asked my battalion commander if I could stay. And he said, you know, Zach, you can't 
can't put your career on hold. You'll get your opportunity. And the best way I can describe it is kind of like people, you know, if you play football your whole life and your team goes to the Super Bowl, you want to go with them. And that's, you know, it was my team. I wanted to go with them. I wanted to go um, overseas with them. And I was not given that opportunity. I ended up uh, in the infantry school. And fast forward a little bit, here I am with a, a room of 300 guys. We're all kind of in the same boat. There's a war going on, the start of the war on terror, and we're all in the schoolhouse. And everybody wants to be a part of what's going on. And I'll never forget some guys walked in the room and said, hey, we, we need some volunteers to go to Afghanistan. Well, every hand in the room goes up. And obviously my hand went up before I even went home and talked to my wife about it. But went home. We prayed about it and um, sought some mentorship. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I put my name in the hat. I got selected. Long story short, my orders got canceled to Afghanistan. I got pulled over to the ranger school as an instructor. And I got stuck there. And I got really frustrated. And I remember I saw one of my soldiers uh, that I had trained and been with up at Fort Campbell on the news. And I remember just curling up in the fetal position on the couch and my wife was like, what am I supposed to do with, a, with an airborne ranger that's crying on the couch? And I began, that's when I really began to ask questions like, okay, God, what, what are you doing? Like, what's your plan for my life? Because, you know, in, in my heart, I had my own plan. I had my own ways. Um, but God was beginning to show me that he was determining my steps. And so I, I sought wise counsel and some friends and mentorship and out of that, I felt like I was being called to, to ministry. And so I pursued the chaplain candidate program for the Army. I left active duty Army. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the military will pay for a doctor to go to medical school and a lawyer to go to law school, but they will not pay for a chaplain to go to chaplain school. So I had to figure out, like, how am I going to survive financially? So I got a job at a church as a college and singles pastor at Morningside Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia. But then I also thought, like, I wanted to explore some entrepreneurial stuff. And so I started my own company. I started a company called Ranger Coffee Company. And we created a hyper-caffeinated blend of coffee. It's kind of funny. I was sitting in an aircraft hangar one night, getting ready to, to go on a training mission. And I had this thought, like, if I could get more caffeine in one cup of coffee, I wouldn't have to pee as much. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, awesome. that, was, that was the inception of, of Ranger Coffee Company. Our, our slogan was not for the weak or faint-hearted. Um, and, and we also use sleep to crutch. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> not, not good for this. Message, wow. Right? Um, so there I was, um, in, uh, in seminary working at a church as a college of singles pastor running a coffee company and, and thought, you know, Hey, this is, this is the path that, that God has taken me on. And then, um, the, the economic crash of, of 2007. Right about the same time of that, that economic crash, I had I promised my wife that if I ever got out of the military, that we would move back home to Polk County. Right after we got here, the crash happened. And I got a phone call from my boss. I was, I'd, I'd changed jobs. I'd left the church in Columbus and taken a job with Life Impact Ministries um, out of Roswell, who had really kind of come alongside and was we were already running, we were running boot camps and things like that for men. And I, um, I got a phone call from my boss and he said, Zach, I love you. I care about you, but don't cash your paycheck when it shows up because there's no money in the bank. Here I was, we just moved back home, had uh, two kids at the time and I didn't know what I was going to do. So i Applied to be a substitute teacher. I started teaching coffee. The coffee business kind of tanked because of the economy. People really weren't buying expensive coffee anymore. And I was cutting grass and just doing little odds and ends just to try to try to pay the bills and, and take care of my family. And then I, I remembered um, a conversation that I'd had with somebody a while back when I was, uh, when I was working for Life Impact. We had an event where we met at Chick-fil-A headquarters and we got in the elevator and we're going up to Truett's office and somebody got on the elevator. They were smiling from ear to ear. And, um, I looked at him and said, is everybody here always this happy? And they said, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like Disney world. And I jokingly, I said, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to work for Chick-fil-A. 
And so fast forward, I remember that conversation when I'm just like praying, asking God, okay, God, like I pursued this chaplain program. I We moved back home. I felt like you were leading me to do all this. And now here I am, you know, no job, no income and um, at a loss for, for what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not in the military. I didn't get a combat combat experience. You know, all my life, I thought I was going to be a general in the army having graduated from West Point and all that. And I was just really dazed and confused. And God just reminded me very um, uh, kindly. He said, well, in the elevator, you said, if this didn't work out, you were going to work for Chick-fil-A. And so that was when I literally brought my head up, pulled up the application to apply to be a Chick-fil-A franchisee. and. got selected uh, to run an existing restaurant in Marietta, Georgia. And that's where I am now. Not, not there. I relocated. That's another part of the, I guess, below the waterline uh, story. Um, But that's what I do. It's really helpful to have some context because what we do flows out of who we are. But when we're young, we find inconsistencies in that story. And the hope is that over time, as we consent to a path and a process, what we do is truly a simple expression of who we've become, right? We chase the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We chase what we're supposed mm-hmm. to do with our life rather than right. becoming curious about who we're meant to be. So let's mm-hmm. take that story and now let's dip below the waterline. You you mentioned in an earlier conversation, as you looked back in kind of the 40s and you're looking back at your 30s and your 20s, you said the path to kingship for you could be said this way. I was a boy that became a father who became a son. I was stopped in those words uh, pretty strongly. And so I want to go deep now. How does that statement I was a boy who became a father, who became a son, apply as a sort of interpretive grid for what you just described. Yeah, so I think, you know, as a boy, I was very energetic and focused on doing really fun things. And yet at the same time, I had this very, very serious side of me. And as I, as I grew older, I began to get um, more serious and rigid and disciplined, obviously through my military and, and all of that. And, and then I became, a as a father, uh, really defined me, a big part of me, um, especially having seven children. Um, I felt my role as a father. Um, as an obligation, as a, a very strong, I guess, uh, disciplinary type role. And it wasn't until really diving deep um, into this message and exposing my, my false self and my pursuit of success as Honestly, as an addiction, um, it was a it's an addiction that uh, really exposed who I was trying to become. Um, and as I said, you you challenged me at one point to write an epitaph for my false self, and I said it's the man he kept getting back into the ring, fighting the man that he knew he could become until it killed him. And so like someone that's just, you know, dazed and confused and just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, like an addict, that was me. It's through this message of exposing the false self, but then understanding who God created me to be and becoming more of my true self that I realized that I am a son and I'm being fathered by God. And that similar to, to your story with your son, Joshua, 
and him looking at you and saying, Dad, we're brothers. Like I'd, I'd heard that 20, 30 times. Um, and, and it wasn't until really probably the last couple of years that um, really even the last probably 18 months that I really see myself as a, as a sibling in a sense to my children and being fathered by God. And um, it's been, it's been huge uh, for me. I know a particular moment in your story that you shared really authentically um, related to that and the unraveling of the false, the unraveling of the sort of epitaph that we fear would become were we not to become the man we were meant to be is a story about your MBA pursuit (laughs) and you're pursuing an MBA and uh, you admit it's largely not for career. It's largely not for promotion. When it comes down to it, you realize I'm pursuing it for the letters behind my name. Again, it's that addiction to achievement, which Zach, I can deeply empathize with. You're among friends. Uh, but your, your daughter said something to you that just arrested me when you were working again. And she said, Daddy, you're not fun anymore. You're always working on school. Take me mm. back to that day. Mm. So I, as an achiever and a performer, I, I can't do anything halfway. So, you know, I've got to, if I'm doing school, like I've got to be the best. At some point, my instructor told me in 20 plus years of teaching, I was the best student that he had ever had as a master's level student. And that was just my drive. Yeah, it's cocaine. That was just, it, it, it exactly. And so I will never forget that moment. I was sitting at the kitchen table and Annabelle, who's now 13, came up to me and she said, Daddy, you're no fun anymore. You used to play, you used to be, um, you used to joke around, you used to be happy, and now you're just, you're so focused and so intense because, you know, I, and I just, I just put down the pencil, I closed the laptop. In that moment, like God arrested me and said, this is, this is not who you're supposed to become. And, and so I said, I quit. And it was at a great risk. Um, a lot was at stake. I was literally on a poster <laughs> for, for the university. Like literally, become, I've seen this poster, right? It's yes, literally. L- literally on a poster as kind of the poster child for this thing that they were trying to create. I had to go back to them and just say, look, I, I can't can't be on this poster like I can't I can't be your MBA student and really that led to um, a series of, of unraveling of things it was in January of, of 2019 that my New Year's resolution of, of sorts was to just just purge uh, so many things from my life that were not what um, they were not important. Um, no, well, not that they weren't important, but they just they weren't necessarily what God wanted me to be doing. And so I resigned from nonprofit boards. I resigned from community level leadership. I um, quit. Like I said, I quit my MBA. Um, and I just began to to delete things off my calendar, and it began. At first, it felt really freeing, and I spent about six months of of doing that, just just taking a hard look at everything I was doing, and and saying, you know, is this something that God wants me to do? And you know, I 
I pray that if it was not of His will, that it would be rendered fruitless and that um, it would not be something that uh, would work out for me. And so, um, again, I just began to purge things. And then in June of 2019, I began to feel physical symptoms of uh, heart attack type symptoms. I I thought I was dying. and so I went, I went to the hospital and they did an EKG and a stress test. And they said, you're, you're fine. Go home. Uh, it's probably just stress. Uh, your heart's fine. And so I went home for about a week and then I, I, it just didn't go away. And so I went back again and I said, look, it's, it's not going away. Like I seriously feel like I'm going to die. And so much chest pain and ended up um, pressuring the doctors into doing a, a heart cath. And so they, they literally went in, went in my arm all the way to my heart. And um, I saw my heart on a TV screen and doctor was like, you are perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And I don't know what it is, but it's, it it's something's causing stress in your life. And I remember thinking like, my marriage is great. My kids are healthy. Never in my life have I purged more things from my everyday life to give myself the freedom to be present for my family. I'm making money at work. Everything's going great. I don't know what's wrong with me. It can't be stress. Then I was talking to our mutual friend, Rob Chidester, and I was just having a conversation with him. And I just said, I've never disappointed more people than I have in 2019. And it was in that moment that it hit me. Oh my gosh, that is what was causing my stress. It was the anxiety from feeling like I was letting people down by resigning from boards and and quitting things that um, it's like a, like an addict. Like if I told you, Morgan, that I was addicted to crack and I just stopped it cold turkey. And then I told you I ended up in the hospital with with withdrawal symptoms. You'd be like, yes, of course, that makes sense. Right. Well, I mean, this is really the same thing. Like I I literally stopped my addiction not necessarily cold turkey, but I began to purge and pull and I felt these physical symptoms of, of withdrawal and um, thought I was going to die. And it was literally the moment when I realized on that call with Rob that that was what was causing my heart attack symptoms. They went away and they haven't been back since. Wow. Zach, we're talking about some really deep waters here. I mean, this is a this is sacred space. You, you've covered a lot of ground in that. And I think what's just important to reflect back to you and to highlight for our allies is it was a process, right? These, these big ideas have to work their way into the fabric of our life. I, I'm thinking of a quote, Eugene Peterson's son, shared this quote in the foreword of a book published by Eugene Peterson after his death, a beautiful book called Run With the Horses. And Peterson's son said, one of the most important things Eugene taught us is that everything about the life of faith is livable. If you can't translate an idea into an experience, it's not gospel. And so what you just described was the gospel translated into the fabric of your life. And what I so appreciate is you had a hunch. You had an invitation from God, one of them coming, the Holy Spirit, through your precious Annabelle. And 13 is this beautiful, malleable age, right? She's looking to see, is my dad safe and will he respond? Do I have access to his true heart as he wants access to my true heart? And then there was this pruning. You know, Jesus is so adamant to say, cut off branches that don't bear fruit, like an MBA program when the motive are the letters after your name, right? And every branch that does bear fruit, prune it still. 
everything's going to hurt a little bit or a lot of bit in this process, but the goal is fruit, right? There is fruit. There's promise to be sure. And so when you described this idea, I'm even praying this prayer. Zach, I'm very moved by what you prayed where you said, if it's not God's will, then let it be rendered futile. Like, how risky it is to say, God, stand in my way where what I'm pursuing is not in alignment with what's best for you in my life. Would you stand in my way? And so I see a great pruning and I see a great process of becoming aware of the false, disentangling that false self from the true over time, allowing it to be dismantled. And so the true heart of the man can be restored. And so there's this season of about six months where it was pretty radical of disentangling, of dismantling, identifying the false self, and and then moving towards the true. And so take me into that. Take us into that what's been the fruit of this sort of internal soul reckoning in the midst of a life that above the waterline is still full, full tilt, right? From leading men in basics to leading your business, leading your community, leading your family, like it is a full tilt world. You didn't go on sabbatical for two years. You had to navigate your everyday life. So take us into the fruit of this process of moving through death. You know, I would say that at, towards the end of, of 2019, I began to feel uh, more life coming back to my own heart, as well as my engagement with my children and my wife and a lot of the superfluous stuff has gone and is less distracting. I'm a lot more present. Yes. I thought I was doing really well until COVID hit and I will never forget. Like it was so, but it it, it was a joyous experience when COVID hit forced me to deal with a lot of the things that I did not want to deal with. You know, I would turn to work and community and things like that because I knew that that would feed my ego. But the frontier, the things that God was calling me into that were really hard, I don't know that I would have gotten there without a government shutdown. Mm. Um, Really in the last six months that um, it, it took me over the edge that I really needed to really truly engage the hearts of my children and um, my family and in and, and my own heart. Um, and so uh, not to, to make light of, of any of the suffering that's occurred across the, the world as a result of all of this. But for, for me personally, um, this particular time has been another step, another level of purging, but it didn't, didn't hurt as bad this time. It was like, oh, we pruned last year. This year, it's just we we see we know what to prune, and and it's now part of the farmer's process, right? It's part of what we do on a regular basis. We prune so that growth can can happen the next season. Zach, what I hear in it is there's much consenting. There is a as you have matured as a man, there's much more of a posture of listening to God, being curious about his direction, trusting confidently he's leading you well, even if it feels like death in the process. You know, we've unpacked the false self and the dismantling of that. I would love for you to put a few words to the true self and how that equally has been orienting and strengthening. Uh, you know, we've had some pretty intimate conversations from some pieces that God has spoken of your name to you. We talk a lot about the white stone and even to the 
the a more recent piece in these last couple of years where where you had said, you know, I, I thought that I was supposed to be a general in the army. I mean, I graduated from West Point, but in fact, I believe you are a general in God's army. And it's not the U.S. military. It's actually a much larger story um, that that borrows its power from. And so your new name, is there some light that you could shed for us by way of appreciating the impact of hearing from God who we are and living from that identity rather than just feeding and fueling the addiction? As you've alluded to, my personal desire and hope to be a general in the army was was really ingrained in my in my being from a very young age. Uh, it's what I thought that I was going to do, and in fact, I decided I was when I was eight years old that I was going to go to West Point, and I I feel like that over the course of the last decade and a half since I've been out of the military, I felt like it was lost. I felt like it was um, something that was stolen from me. And there was a deep sense of, of loss that went with that. And then I was leading a group of guys um, at through basic and I was speaking at a kind of campfire type um, situation. And one of them said that as I was speaking, he saw a vision over my head of a five-star general logo um, or insignia over my head. And when he told me that later, um, I kind of I brushed it off a little bit. I said, okay, that's, that's cool. That's nice. And then I was driving down the road in Atlanta, um, headed to see a friend. And I remember like just this thought that came to my mind, like, do I, do I buy a five-star general insignia, you know, as a, just as a memento, you know, something to help me remember like that, that this is um, something that somebody saw that they thought of me, you know, and, and then it, and it hit me that, well, I said to myself, I said, no, I can't, I can't buy that because it's like in the military, you can't, you can't buy something or wear something that you didn't earn. And I remember I'm in this conversation with God. I said, well, but I feel like you, 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 there's something in that. And, and he clearly said, he said, Zach, you didn't earn this, but I gave it to you. Zach, you are an achiever. And you can achieve almost anything you set your mind to, but this is something that you cannot achieve and you must receive it as a gift that is bestowed upon you. And so that was a moment where I actually received my new name and I began to walk in strength in something that I did not earn something that I can't possibly earn and something that is meant, even though we're, we're sharing this with the world, but it's, you know, it's, it's between me and God and it's, it's something that he has given me that has helped me walk in my strength in becoming and continuing to become the kind of man that he meant when he meant me. Uh, I'm really moved by that exchange, and it, it's really brave and kind to offer that story, Zach, authentically. I mean, those are the secret places, right? Those are the things that, ooh, um, they are the treasures that fuel us. But uh, thank you for being willing to share that. I'm struck by that idea that that achiever in you, the brilliant irony is that has every bit to do with God's image in you as well. But the difference is for so long, it was fueled by an energy that was the self-life. And now what I see 
And what I experience from you is that achievement is consecrated. It's set apart. It's brought under the rule and the reign of a king. It has a governor on it, a throttle that can be ramped up and brought down. And the result are these seven children and this wife that gets a lot more of you than they ever got before. Um, Before we close, while you have an audience with the like-hearted, I mean, you're with your people. And they're all around the globe, and they're in different expressions above the waterline, but they're all going after the more. They're men and women who love those men saying, I want my whole heart back. I want to become the kind of man that God can look at and say, that's one. That's one I can trust um, with this task at hand. What? Anything else you'd want to share, put words to from uh, from your front in this great war? Yeah. So I think two things. One, this idea of a frontier uh, is so big uh, for for me personally, and I think for for everyone on this journey. And and frontier being defined as a as a place that for me is uncomfortable is a place where I don't feel confident. And um, so for me right now, frontier is really uh, having quality time with my family and, and three, three places. And you're going to laugh at this one, but um, I've started jujitsu at 43 <laughs> and I am the lowest guy on the totem pole in the entire gym. And I walk in and I'm actually, as soon as we finish here, I'm going, going to the gym and even my daughter started training before me. So I make her stand to my left and I'm the last guy in line and I get, I get my tail handed to me <laughs> a lot. Um, and ironically, the process to becoming a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu is a decade at a minimum. And, and, uh, but it's not about belts for me. Um, this is about a process of consenting and, and a, a childlike curiosity of going after something that really gets to the soul deeper into my soul in a world that really tries to keep me on the surface. And so it's been a rescue on so many levels for me um, in my relationship with my daughter, in my connection with my son. And then just personally, God is is speaking to me in so many ways through this. I mean, honestly, it, it could be anything, but my challenge would be, what is your frontier Where is a place where you feel exposed? Where is a place that you feel uncomfortable and go there? One more quick frontier is, uh, has to do with Boudreaux, the alligator, um, is a story that I'm making a bedtime story for my three-year-old that insists that I tell her stories about alligators. (laughs) Why? I have no idea. And so I made up this story about Boudreaux and I'm not like my imagination and creativity. I'm very creative, but like I push all that playful creativity away. And so I'm having to bring that back. And so every night I'm having to make up this story about Boudreaux, the, the alligator who lives in the bayou and he's got a crawfish gumbo. That's amazing. And it's, it's hilarious. (laughs) Um, And the final thing that I will say is just this idea of seasons. You know, I I literally, I'm I'm looking out my window right now and my office, the name of my office is called the Oaks on Elm and Elm Street is right out here. And there were these three mighty oak trees right along the side of my my, um, uh, parking lot here. And about a month ago, one of them fell on the house next door and totally crushed, destroyed this house. In fact, the guy hasn't even moved back in yet. Um, They haven't really done much of anything because insurance is all tied up in that. And I remember staying there looking at this massive oak tree and, and thinking, 
of all the seasons that this oak tree had been through. Hundreds of, probably not hundreds, but probably at least a hundred. A hundred winters, a hundred falls, a hundred springs, a hundred summers. And just wind, lightning, hail, tornadoes, all that stuff that this, this tree had been through. And its roots were way less than its kingdom had expanded. And the inside of the tree was, was fine. It wasn't rotten. But the roots just would, would not hold. And um, its kingdom had expanded way beyond its roots. And it fell. And it crushed the house next door. And as I think about our lives and the seasons that we go through and this idea of pruning, if we continuously pruned back to prevent our kingdom from expanding beyond our roots, I believe that that is the part of the process that God invites us into on this journey. I can see that tree, though I've never been at Oak and Elm, uh, because I've seen a lot of those trees that are beautiful and brilliant, but they're artificially protected, right? They're tucked in a neighborhood of man-made structures that somehow, for some time, guard them from enough storms that allow them to grow disproportionately, right? They grow up without growing down, because it's actually the storms the uh, shaking of the tree, the agitation from wind and weather that causes the roots to actually amplify in their growth. And so as we come to a close, Zach, I hear you and I see in your life the story of pruning, the invitation of God to have his way with you to thwart the things that are not of his will. And it really lines up with another piece of your name and your calling that you are a pathfinder. You served in a pathfinder role as a recon platoon leader. As we close, I would love for you to just give us some context for what a pathfinder does and then pray for us as a way of pausing to say what's being raised in each of us in this conversation. And then let's pray, inviting God to shine his light to show us what is the frontier. So a pathfinder, as a pathfinder, platoon leader, um, me as a recon platoon leader in my role, we would be essentially the first in. We would go in, we would find a a drop zone area big enough to bring in more troops. And then, um, you know, that was, that was one of the, one of the things that we did, the primary role of a pathfinder is going in and finding a place to bring in the rest of the troops. And, um, and then uh, drop zones, landing zones and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I, I remember our conversation where I, I told you, um, that I felt like you were a pathfinder for me um, because you helped me find this, this path and recover this ancient path. And so I feel like in a spiritual way, that's what we as like-hearted kings are doing on this journey is, is rediscovering a path, going in ahead of others, finding a place to bring in the rest of the troops away for them to to um, to go in behind enemy lines and help um, fight this this war um, as we serve God in the midst of of um, bringing His kingdom. So, in light of that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have had together today. Um, I thank you personally for being able to um, share the work that you have done in my life, hoping that it will help others. I'm so grateful and so thankful that my story um, can be shared in a way that this narrow path 
that you've shown me is um, has ditches on on both sides, and it's it's really easy to um, to go off the path. And so I pray, Father, that you would would help us to stay on the path and light the way for us as we continue to to dive deeper into the the person and the who that you have created us to be. And Father, that you would um, continue to spread this message and help others to hear and see what it is that you're doing in the restoration in the hearts of men across the globe to restore your kingdom and, uh, and serve you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, it's good for you to hear the stories, real stories of real men that are working out this gospel in their everyday life. As mentioned before, Zach is a graduate of a past become good soil intensive, and he's tracked faithfully and intimately with our growing fellowship of the like-hearted. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Become Good Soil Intensive, you can find that at becomegoodsoil.com. And if you're interested in taking others deeper into that message and knowing that as you facilitate it for others, there's always a deeper cut that comes to you as the facilitator, you can dive in with the book, Becoming a King, and the study guide in the video series. As always, it's an honor and a privilege that you would choose to invest time, this precious commodity, that you would invest your time to be with me and to be with these guests that are consenting to a path and a process. You are not alone. There's a growing fellowship and there's more. It's available. We'll be back together on another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. Thanks for tuning in.